welcome to another episode of Personal Finance Boss. Uh, as usual, I am Ali, I have Julian here, and uh, we have a very special guest joining us today. Um, his name is Carlo Valle in uh, Montreal, and uh, he is a financial advisor at uh, IG Financial. Yep. Well, IG Wealth Management. We IG re- Wealth Management. We rebranded just now. <laughs> okay, okay. So, I mean, we've been having a conversation for about a good hour and a half about your life. So, before we get into the whole finance talk, yeah. like, what did you do growing up? Where are you from? Well, growing up, I was a kid. Yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> but what did you do as a kid growing as up? As a kid, and, uh, as a kid growing up, I was basically just a little bastard uh, annoying my dad who was trying to show me the wonderful um, the wonderful life that is entrepreneurship. He's always, you know, he was always a small business owner, owned a car dealer or mechanic shop or both, you know, at different times of his life. And uh, he always told me like, you know, you got to be your own man. You got to be your own boss, you know. And I was like, yeah, whatever, man. I'm going to go join the, the, the military when I get out and okay. out of the house. And I did. And then uh, so, took- but why why did he tell you to be an entrepreneur, and then oh, why the- did you want to join the, mil- the military? Well, you know, it, I think it's because I saw my dad, and I and I wanted to be the opposite of him for some reason. I think it's just that weird rebellious thing okay. everyone okay. has. Uh, what did your dad do? Huh? Oh, he was a he was a he owned a car dealership. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, used car dealership. I, I'm not talking about like the con- nice, uh, what do you call them, concessionary. No. Yeah. I'm talking about the kind, the lot. The good old American lot. Good old lot. American used car lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, that's what he did. And uh, and a mechanic shop, you know. So when people weren't buying cars, they were at least fixing them. So he knew he, he had total, uh, total, what was it, uncorrelated uh, portfolio there. You know? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, I, I learned later on that he was probably right. I should have worked for myself. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. is which is after many, many years, uh, I finally started to go and be my own yeah. kind of boss, if you can call it because that. Because you did the complete opposite by joining the military. Exactly, right? exactly. So, I mean, if, I'm trying to think of it, something more opposite than working for yourself as joining the military. Yeah. I can't think of anything uh, that's oh, yeah. any worse than that, I would say. So, I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. if it's on the spectrum of working for yourself, the military is nothing for yourself. <laughs> I, like, would, would you say that you learned, like, that you got values out of it, like work ethic or... You know, I got work ethic in the sense of uh, understanding of what bad leadership is and <laughs> what good leadership looks like. You got in shape, though. Uh, I did get in shape. Uh, I was always skinny, so, I mean, I don't know if that's in shape, but uh, yeah. I, at the very least, I was all right. And then with the military, I did get in shape. I was able to squat like uh, 300 pounds. That was really cool. Okay. Uh, and uh, and then I gave up after I got out. Yeah. <laughs> so I haven't been to a gym since. Yeah. And you said that you got deployed to Japan. <laughs> got deployed to Japan, uh, but I also but my most of my time is spent in Iraq. Uh, I did three, okay. three combat deployments there. Did you um, see combat? Luckily, no. Okay. I was always in combat units. Yeah. Uh, but. Nothing ever happened. Did you it. want to see combat? No. You did not want to see No, 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 no. Were no. other people in your unit wanting to see combat? Of course. You fucking idiots. Okay, yeah, okay. But you weren't one of those. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm okay, like, you, you know, we don't, we don't need that. You understood that uh, pieces of metal flying at the speed of sound almost yeah. can, can kill you. Probably more than speed of yeah, sound. Yeah, yeah, way yeah, more I, than faster, speed of sound. A lot faster. Yeah, but, yeah. 
But yeah, they they can kill you. catastrophic damage to your body. Yeah, okay, good, good. Yeah, plus I'm not down with the whole trauma thing and everything, and I was like, you know, I don't need that. Okay. So did you have any close calls to ever being in? So, uh, luckily, uh, I have. I've I've been, the closest I've been to is probably about 100 meters away from actual fighting. Okay. Uh, I was one time in an outpost. Um, We had an outpost, uh, basically a, a small... A small little tiny base in the middle of Baghdad. We maybe about a, a hundred guys were there, and um, it was next to a police station, an Iraqi police station. And one time there was a, I was in the watchtower when there was shooting going on, and I was like, oh man, well I guess these these are insurgents fighting. I guess the Iraqi mm-hmm. army or maybe the police. Who knows? And then that lasted about an hour. And you could see people, like, shooting at each other, like, right down the road, you know. Yeah. Uh, seriously, about 100, 100 meters away. And uh, just come to, uh, and then, like, an hour later, we find out that actually it was the Iraqi army engaging the Iraqi police. <laughs> okay. And so they spent an hour having friendly fire without realizing oh that. God. The, that they the were side. the same size. It's a good thing you guys didn't go and Well, it's a good thing we didn't go, been, and like, it's a good thing they were terrible shots, because I think maybe one guy got injured in, in okay. like an hour of gunfire, so that was wow. good. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, that was the closest thing, uh, but not the closest call. I I was 30 meters away from an incoming rocket uh, a rocket round, uh, so... Um, where, that was where, like, where, where were you? In my bed. <laughs> okay. 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 On the base? On base, yeah, yeah. Because okay. what, what they would do is uh, they would, uh, Iraqi insurgents would lob unguided rockets without any real math to this, you know, because, yeah. I mean, there is a math you can do it if you want to hit accurately, but they don't have that. So what they did is they just put, put a rocket on this, like, metal homemade metal rail like a mortar or no no a rocket, a rocket an actual rocket. it's like a it's like a meter long rocket weighs maybe about 100 pounds no. wow, okay. um and uh they would just launch it and uh what they would do is they'd look at the direction of the base they'd kind of like play you know play like by. that look yeah play by like i think that i think that might hit it and yeah. that and that's what they would do and it would just be lucky that it landed maybe 30, 30 meters away. Did so. it ever hit anyone? That it actually did. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Wow. There was uh, it, it. It killed a contractor and uh, okay. a contractor for what? A U.S. civilian contractor. I don't okay. know what they do. Okay. Uh, they just run. Around. I don't know. You just see them. I don't know what they do. They they probably like overcharge for whatever work they do. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, just like contractors here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. One had passed away, uh, but I was lucky. So. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm glad nothing happened. Glad you didn't see combat because I guess you would come back with some trauma. You could come back with trauma. Life is already hard of being short, so uh, yeah. <laughs> let's just say it's it's call it good. <laughs> okay, so then that like, did you learn anything positive uh, from mm- your experience? Honestly, not really. So this is not a pitch to join the military. Like, no, this isn't a pitch to join the military. I learned what bad leadership was. I learned what good leadership was. And I learned that more often than not, you run into bad leadership. Okay. Uh, and so uh, that's, that's one lesson. So I learned, uh, abs- I learned that what it takes to be a good leader, what it takes to be a good manager, if you want to call it that too. Mm. And uh, this came in very handy. Uh, now that I manage absolutely nobody, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, and, and you were, 
uh, you were uh, in the army for how long? So that makes a total. Uh, I did two services actually. I did the Marines and the army, and um, that makes a total of about eleven years. Okay. Yeah. yeah so yeah. eleven years of not much. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got out. You were twenty-eight. Yeah, yeah, twenty-eight, and then I uh, I went into to I went back into university studies. Uh, yeah. Did history, interestingly. Um, transferred out here to Concordia, okay. uh, where I met Ali, and uh, we used to work together knocking the phones. Okay. okay. I don't know if that's a secret from your listeners. I don't know. <laughs> good, good old fashioned labor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good old fashioned sales tactics. <laughs> So yeah, uh, we worked together, and then uh, after graduation, I learned French, and then moved to Paris for a a year and a half, and then I continued some studies over there just to um, just improve my French. Uh, I was accompanying my wife, and uh, she was there for 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 postdoc, and then um, I learned over while I was over there, I learned that personal finance became more and more and more of a thing for me. Uh, One, my wife. who is a doctor, uh, apparently told me, well, I don't want to deal with any of this, so that's going to be you. You know, like, so okay. here you okay. go. Now, at the time, I was basically a communist. I, I didn't want to deal with anything <laughs> with money or anything. Like and in some ways, I still am, but uh, mostly with beer. I share beer. Uh, okay. okay. <laughs> I, share, I share food and alcohol. Do you want some wine? No, no, thank no. you. Want some scotch? I, I got to drive back home, man. So. <laughs> I got I to be responsible, you know. Uh, so... Um, uh, no, no. So then I, I started going more and more into personal finance, learning about like indexing, learning about like uh, uh, how can your financial advisor be screwing you? You know, yeah. things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. something uh, we talk about quite often. Actually. Yeah, so, yeah. I, so I asked these these questions and the more I even interacted with with my wife's uh, a financial advisor. The more I more I interacted with him, the more I understood I didn't want to be like that. You know, like I, <laughs> so so uh, it eventually culminated back uh, until uh, just before COVID, when I made the jump to become a financial advisor. And okay. um, so you've been an advisor for only a couple months. Well, I wish it was only a couple months. It's, okay. It, it it's I don't know if you know if it's no longer March. We've, we've been <laughs> yeah yeah. Well, I mean a couple months like six months. I'm just saying is that time has passed yeah, yeah, really yeah, yeah, really yeah, slowly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It still feels like we're in April, but uh, yeah, yeah. So I I, uh, I became a financial advisor in March. Uh, well, not really. I made the change. Okay. I finally got uh, my license recognized by the AMF in uh, which is the Securities Commission here. In in, um, in case you have a out of province listeners uh, here in Quebec, and uh, I that happened in uh, May, okay. and then I've been basically been able to practice as a financial advisor in uh, mutual funds and ETFs. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I've always had a more or less negative image mm-hmm. of financial advisors, and I'm pretty sure you did as well. Yeah. And you probably do as well. Um, because, <laughs> because of the stigma that they have and the yeah. stigma of, okay, maybe 15, 20 years ago when uh, information was much less accessible. People mm-hmm. didn't under, or people understood the stocks even less. People saw the dot com bubble. They saw all these crashes, and they didn't really want to ever get into it. And the resources online weren't as available as they are now. And yeah, yeah. at that point, it may have been like, okay, yes, because I don't know what to do with my money. Yeah. Exactly. Now with smartphones and everything's on your phone and everything's so easy and everything's mm-hmm. accessible. Yeah, yeah. Now you can just listen to podcasts yeah. about this. Yeah. So and and. <laughs> 
And there's YouTube. Yeah, and there's YouTube. So why would anybody require a financial advisor? Yep. Like, if you're 18, do you need mm-hmm. one? If you're 25, do you need one? If you're 45, like, who, when, why, yeah. what? Like, what sort of services do you guys offer that make, it, that make your fee worthwhile? It's not, I'll be honest, so it's not for everyone. Um, it's, it's, uh, oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Repositioning here. So it's not for everyone. You have to, uh, you basically have to have something interesting about your finances, you know. So if you make a lot of money, that's where it's very interesting, not because then I make a lot of money. No, in the sense of that, when you make a lot of money, uh, you have a lot of taxable income. And often a financial advisor can help you uh, defer taxes for later. Right? That's one we all know the famous RA, uh, RSPs. Uh, RSPs. Um, but you can also figure out other ways, such as tax planning through uh, income splitting. There's different. You can actually even loan your child or your wife uh, money, so that it actually doesn't count as income for you. So okay. there's all these things that an advisor can do to minimize the impact of taxes, the tax consequences, uh, also minimize taxes on your estate or just overall, you know, mm-hmm. financial planning for the long term. An advisor can help you with that. Um, however, uh, if you, let's say you work a regular salary job and you have a pension fund and uh, uh, your, 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 your taxable income isn't that high, that's fine. You actually don't really need one. Actually, I recommend them often to go do uh, do uh, do the research. Go on, you know, listen to some personal finance podcasts, things like that. Because it, the way I view it is that uh, it's a rule of thumb in some ways, but there's a lot. There's really a good amount of logic and research behind it. Is that you want to save about fifteen percent of your income, right? Now, the average pension fund in reality is going to and 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 some some things that you do when you when you do your RSPs are going to be about ten percent, twelve percent. So, what are you going to do with the additional? five, three percent or whatever, invest it uh, on your own through, you know, through an online brokerage. Uh, you can do that or, you know, figure out where is it you want to do, you know, how is it you want to bring your, your, your investments? So is it through real estate? I don't know. So it just uh, not everyone needs a financial advisor. If they just put in a little bit of reading uh, a week, they can probably figure figure out what to do with the remainder so that they have uh, the right amount of uh, of retirement funds. Now, so when when you say like three to five percent, mm-hmm. uh, ten yeah. to fifteen percent of mm-hmm. your income that you need, why is it only ten to fifteen, or why is it as much as ten to fifteen? Like why yeah. why, why why that number? So actually, this uh, this has been a rule of thumb for a long time. Um, but I was le- recently reading a book by uh, this. Uh, he's actually one of the few PhDs in in financial planning. So um, he actually wrote a, a book recently called How Much Can I Spend in Retirement, which looks at retirement saving and retirement spending. Sounds like an interesting book. <laughs> it, it's a very thick, it's a long read. Yeah. Uh, I would recommend that when you're reading it, don't do it when you're extremely bored or sleepy or, you okay, know, just yeah. and take notes as you're reading it because you, it's, it, it can get pretty complex. But he uh, basically looked at uh, savings rate according to, and he has a whole, I'm not going to go into the methodology, but he has a model mm-hmm. on how to basically try to figure out your savings rate. And to him, he found out that since 1926 to the present day, about the best number you can come up to is actually between 15 and 18%. Now, you don't always need that. 
what really determines it is if you're going through a bear market, let's say it's a prolonged bear market, you don't actually need to save 15%. You can save less. Why? Because the, the, the market's undervalued, right? Mm -hmm. Now, when the market's going through a bull market, right, you actually need to get about 15% or more. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He, he did the math and he looked at the historical data and he discovered that in order to have a sustainable portfolio at the 4% rule, uh, in the worst years in the last last hundred years, you'd have to uh, worst years being the most prosperous years when everything's overvalued. You have to save up to thirty four percent of your okay. of your income. <laughs> and this is to retire comfortably, or exactly to retire, to retire comfortably to maintain your current. So standard. to maintain to maintain a four percent uh, spending spending. Uh, well, because if, if Ali makes like two million per year and I make hundred thousand per mm -hmm. year. His fifteen percent and my fifteen percent will lead to different to numbers. different outcomes. So could yes. he sustain his lavish lifestyle with the fifteen percent? Uh, since you know he made more money throughout his life. No, no, but he see he won't have the same standard of living as you. Yeah, but he so. will be able to probably maintain his standard. Of yeah, living. exactly. Yeah, his exactly. Lavish. Okay, exactly. Right. It's all it's it's all relative to income. Yeah. So, uh, so no. So it's if, a, if you want to keep living the way you were living while you were working, you need to save around ten to eighteen percent. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And okay. and again, this all depends on whether the market conditions and everything. Now, this was based off of data looking back, you know, mm -hmm. a hundred years. Uh, but he uh, he says that for the present, it's it's still an unknown exactly what that amount will be. Mm -hmm. But. From from the research, he says it's it would be safe bet to say fifteen percent, you know, ten okay. to fifteen percent, you'll be fine. Okay. At the very least, you know that when you're approaching retirement in the last ten years, you'll know. Okay, you know what? We need to ratchet it up a little bit. But instead of saving thirty percent in the last years, maybe you're saving uh, twenty percent. You know, it's a big yeah. deal when when you got yeah, when you yeah. still got you know financial responsibilities and whatnot, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and work and all that. So, um, at the very least, it, it leaves less it leaves for more room for error yeah. you know okay yeah so financial advisors are for people who are filthy rich okay one <laughs> one two two people who aren't filthy rich but still have uh an interesting tax profile that's okay. that's another thing um but it it isn't always for everyone as i was but saying what, and that's what fine. you gauge yeah. as an interesting tax profile Interesting tax profile. Entrepreneurs are one yeah. of them. Freelancers is another. Um, uh, and now, entrepreneurs and freelancers aren't necessarily rich people, right? But still, it's they require some tax planning. Uh, they also, uh, let's say, like even a depreneur owner. So that's in the for people who are outside of Quebec. That's a corner store. Yeah. Um, Little even, 7-Eleven. Even yeah yeah <laughs> even even for an owner for for uh, of a small of a small business. They'll need financial uh, financial advice to understand one how they're going to in, in invest their uh, business income if they choose to yeah. kind of minimize their own salaries. You know, uh, is it better to take a dividend or a salary? You know, is it better to uh, is it better to maybe keep the business or sell the business at the end? You know, when you when you want to retire, these are things that a, a financial advisor can help okay. and also. Um, can assist in, you know, one uh, financial advisors typically, I'm working on it, but typically also have a network of, of others that can help in these transitions. Oh, you need you need a CPA. I, I, I think I know two or three that, that mm -hmm. you can interview that you can interview, see which one works best with you, you know, etc. So these are things that uh, you don't need to be filthy rich, uh, but that can really help you in the long run. Because mm -hmm. imagine if you sell your business, you undersell it, 
or you sell your business and you put all your stuff in growth stocks. You know, it's yeah. <laughs> not the smartest thing ever, you know. Uh, so we can we can help you weigh out weigh the different options of what to do for your retirement uh, your retirement uh, financing. Okay. So yeah, yeah. So th- and, that's but, another. And you even said people that have a, like a salary, like one income, it, it may mm-hmm. not be necessary. But what if they don't want to learn about that? Like, exactly. Yeah. So if they don't want to, that's absolutely fine. Uh, look, but you, they have to understand that there is a price they pay. There is a premium. Mm-hmm. So uh, what that premium is, that depends on, on the advisor. Uh, it depends on, uh, on the, the, what, what business model they're practicing. Um, so let's say like for, for me, uh, if it's two, below 250000 it's going to be 1.35% of which you pay as an ongoing advisory fee. Plus, then you have to pay for the MBR of the investments. That could be very low if you're working with uh, index funds, if you're working with uh, ETFs. Uh, could be a little higher, but at the very least, I, uh, you know, a lot of us, if, if, if your financial advisor is putting in uh, some time to look at the cost, they can keep it below 1%. So you're looking, you know, so, but that, that little cost is going to be 1.35%. Uh, uh, or uh, as high as I've seen it is 1. 1.4, 1.45% is the highest I've seen it. Yeah. Now that you're on the other side, that, mm-hmm. you're, that you are a financial advisor, has your investing profile or view on investing or strategy on investing changed? So uh, actually, no. Weirdly enough, okay. the only thing that has changed is not so much the profile of investing, but rather, how do I uh, not so much even allocate investing, but investments, but where how, uh, where it's located? So one cool thing. Like geographically. Really, no, uh, where it's located in the account. In, in fiscally. So, okay. um, for example, you uh, do you put your bonds in in your registered accounts, or do you put it in a non-registered account? Mm-hmm. Do you put how do you split the bonds and the stocks, right? And 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 what uh, you know equities and and fixed income. So, because not everyone owns bond, you know, stocks, but some people own uh, funds. So, um, some people say, well, you know, the the, the fixed income produces uh, well income uh, from interest. So we should put that in, in the non in a, in a, in, a, in a registered account. You know, so in a non taxable account, uh, that makes kind of sense. But guess what? Um, uh, the capital gains from uh, from uh, from equities grows much faster than fixed income. So you, when you do the rebalancing, you might actually even have a higher uh, tax, uh, uh, a higher tax bill. Yeah. So you might have to split it a little different. It, it, it's, a, it's a thing that has to be worked with. There's different models towards finding it out. There's a pre-tax model. There's an after-tax model. There's a utility model. It's crazy. But at the very least, that's the one thing that changed my mind since being on the other side because I now see how uh how i can save money for the clients okay. that goes beyond investments and mm-hmm. actually goes into taxing you know into taxes tax planning and um and and that's that's one of the things that has changed so because as, sorry yeah, yeah, yeah well because at the end of the day like you can't control the stock market right you can't yeah you can't control the stock but that, that's like my that's my thought all the time is you're trying to sell these investments and you're not promising mm-hmm. that you're going to make money for the client but mm-hmm. if they're paying one percent or 1.35 percent they're going to expect to make money mm. but you can't guarantee because if the stock market 
goes mm-hmm. down, well, it's not your fault. Exactly. So I guess you as an advisor, you have to diversify. You have to look at their risk factors. Mm-hmm. Look, like Take their risk factors. Okay, if you guys work in tech, obviously don't start buying tech stocks because <laughs> if you lose your job, there's the high probability that the tech sector is going down as well. As well, right? yeah. So there, there's things like, like so w- when you meet a, a client the first time, like what type of conversation do you have with them? So oftentimes a big conversation is have have they worked with a financial advisor or what do they expect from one? You know, what have they heard about uh, financial advice? Um, you know, uh, what what does it in- involve? And then another question I ask often is, and this is an important one, is what are their values? So uh, if uh, an investor, for example, um, is somewhat is, is somewhat religious, uh, spiritual, and they might have some um, re- some hesitance towards certain types of funds. So let's say in all, yeah, let's say like an index fund might have uh, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms in in in, uh, yeah. in its holdings. So the we have to look at other at other uh, yeah. investments, other approaches. Uh, it's not just mutual funds. It's uh, there's certain ESG ETFs, things like that, and that means uh, sometimes that means accepting a lesser return, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and and that means okay, we're going to have to our projections, our expectations might be a little lowered. Are you okay with that? You know. So these are things that that I also ask. What are their values? What is their relationship with money as well? Are they, uh, I have met people who are excellent savers and terrible investors because they're, they, they get locked up in the analysis paralysis of like, if I put my money in here, I could lose, I could lose 5%. Yeah. And it's like, well, 5%, that's not that much. But to them, their, their, their relationship with risk is very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other, and then the final thing I do is I talk about investments probably last, to be honest, in terms of like product, in terms of like strategies. I talk to that kind of last. Uh, the reason why, I mean, I get the more principled base, the values, things like that. Uh, that's one of the first things we talk about. But I talk about specifically about investing last because what really matters the most is the overall profile. Um, I can't remember who said it, but uh, there was a good book uh, uh, that I recommend called uh, Random Walk uh, Down Wall Street. Oh, Burton Mal- Burton, Burton Mal- Malkiel. Malkiel, yeah. And he had, uh, he had written that, and I wasn't sure if he originated it, but I know, I know it's pretty true, is that he said that um, 92% of outcomes is based off of the, the choice of investment. The, uh, not 92 percent is based off of the choice of investment. 92% is based off of just having the discipline to invest yeah, to yeah. and and stick with yeah. it and so uh, it's behavioral so yeah. a lot of the, the the most conversation i try to get in the beginning is about engaging the person's behaviors um there might what might be their biases as you mentioned tech stocks right guy who works in the tech sector he might actually feel uh, a, a, a positive bias towards tech because yeah. he's in it he yeah. works in it he knows it oh it's great or you know but uh, where an advisor comes into play or actually he can do it himself, but he has to do a lot of reading is understanding what are these biases yeah. is to say, hey, hey, we got to look at it. What is the tech sector in terms of the economy? Where has it been in the past? We all remember the tech crash of uh, the 2000s, yeah. the early 2000s, dot com the top gun, the, the top gun bubble, <laughs> the dot com bubble. Um, and uh, and we have to always remind them that, yeah. you know, like, look, well, I know you're you're invested emotionally in that. But you gotta, you gotta scale it back. Gotta scale it yeah. back. You have to, 
so we look at also keeping the per, keeping the investor uh, not too concentrated on, on one thing. And I find it's a very natural thing. Mm -hmm. One thing I noticed in portfolios uh, is uh, home country bias is huge. Uh, so the average Canadian investor, I believe, holds upwards of 30% of their portfolios in Canada, you know, uh, uh, in mm -hmm. Canadian invest investments. And Canada makes up, if I remember GDP-wise, it's about 1.3%, 1.36% the global GDP. Okay. You know, so imagine if you put mm -hmm. yeah. all your, you know, 30% of your eggs in a very tiny them. basket. Yeah. So you have to scale it back a bit. Now, there's other factors that there's play other there, factors. like exchange rate and... Exchange rate, tax, uh, actually, Canadian, comfort. Canadian, uh, Canadian um, from what I understand, uh, 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 the home country bias has some additional returns because of the tax efficiency yeah. of the investments. So that's another positive thing. But you have to talk to yourself, and the advisor talks with you. We do this, is say how much are you willing to put? How many eggs are you willing to put in this basket? Knowing mm -hmm. here are some advantages here, are, but here are some disadvantages you have to look at. So is a, there a is there an allocation geographically that? is that you would recommend as being more optimal for uh, for investors? I have uh, done a ton of reading on, on geographic okay. uh, allocation. And the best answer I have found is... No. Exactly. <laughs> well, I know. I'm just... That, I'm is, just, I'm just, that uh, is the correct answer. Yeah. Is there is no perfect allocation. Yes, there. I have seen way too much allocation that, that can be done. If you're past... Honestly, if you're past 60% okay. uh, for the U.S., now, okay. now, let's say like if you're in the U.S. or even if you're Canadian, you put 60% U.S., I think that's at the limit of the safe bet that you can mm -hmm. take. After that, you're going, you're really bleeding into it because the U.S. still makes only 23% of the global economy, but because it's such a powerhouse economically and very resilient as, a, as an economy, uh, it, it can be somewhat of a safe bet. Mm -hmm. But uh, for my general rule of thumb is don't exceed 25% for Canada, uh, but that's my own rule. Personal. That's my personal. Okay. My, the way I go with the client is I talk to them about it, and we come up with a number. It can, okay. It's a very, it's a very arbitrary number for the most part, but it's one that, at the very least, the client understands. Hey, that's it. This is the risk. We've we've looked at it. This is mm -hmm. where I'm comfortable. And it's good to have home country bias in some ways because it actually keeps the client more invested. So why? Because again, it's that affinity to their home country. Like, oh, I want I want my country to succeed. I want you know. Mm -hmm. I see, and my, I understand it, and, and you understand yeah, it. It's, yeah. So it's very real. It's a very tangible investment. So it's not it's not bad to have, uh, but you got to look at it in the sense of like, all right, let's not put our uh, too yeah. much of a good thing. It, it does exist. There is yeah. such thing as too much of a good thing. Yeah. So there is no true one hundred percent correct better mm -hmm. uh, allocation strategy uh, in terms of ge geography. It really is. Just choose one. Uh, have you guys heard of dimensional fund advisors or no? Uh, it's run, it's not run by, but it's heavily influenced by uh, Eugene Fama and Kenneth French, uh, okay. Nobel, Nobel laureates. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Fama French, French uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. CFA Fama. nightmares. Yeah, uh, yeah okay. Uh, so they, um, uh, they've done their research. <laughs> they've done their research and it comes down to, they do a rule of third of like 33. So it's just... Look, 33% Canadian, 33% the U.S., 33% developed uh, global economies. That's okay. it. So it's just simple. There's not even any mm -hmm. science because they've done the research, and there's no way, yeah. no right way to do it. Yeah. It just doesn't yeah. exist. So they're like, don't waste your time. Don't waste your money trying to research what's the 
So what's way. your opinion on active versus passive management? Mm-hmm. Active versus passive, I'm very much... Now, I'm, I might go against the grain even in my own profession. Mm-hmm. I have seen, uh, well, I have seen a lot more financial advisors, both colleagues and also in the blogosphere, uh, in, in, in podcasts, who are very much uh, active investors, mm-hmm. uh, active management um, centric. I've already talked about my active approach and yeah. why, I, why I do it. You know, it does good. To lend. Yeah. Uh, you do good yeah. until you do bad. So. Yeah. It's also for me, like, it's a, it's a personal enjoyment. Like, yeah. yeah, choose, yeah. Researching the companies, investing in the companies. I have passive ones too, and like my RSP and my work yeah. pension, so it is passive. So okay. I'm not just running after the alpha all well, the tech stocks but if uh, you do if you do active uh i hope you're doing it in your non-reg account yes um, act, yeah 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 you should because yeah. you can take advantage of tax loss selling uh so that that helps it, it, there's it no helps. losses though oh <laughs> <laughs> oh there's uh there's everyone shirt. wins until they was lose. A Boeing Wait, you know you know actually uh this is a tangent but i learned the most about investing because of active investing. Of course. Yeah. Of course. yeah. And yeah. that's how like I made my mistakes thanks to this guy over here. But <laughs> no, we opened our, I think now uh, seven years since I opened my... my since we're 18. Yeah, yeah. since we're 18. Since so seven, seven years since I opened my, my brokerage account. And like I learned so much from trading different mm-hmm. orders, different investment vehicles, trying my hand in all these different asset classes, making mistakes, over trading, yeah, under trading... Yeah learning what commission is uh all of that all of that kind of yeah. stuff selling too early selling too late so yeah it was uh, it was a big learning lesson the, but the, uh, the one problem i have with active and you know what i'll be honest it being active doesn't mean you're wrong it, it's it's uh and it's it's not it's not also saying that everyone is right uh active versus passive the reason why passive is so much, uh, I would say, re- uh, the, the academic research, the academic mm-hmm. literature actually says passive is a far better approach to it. Um, however, I don't think there's a wrong approach in either because either way, if your bottom line is growing and your net worth is in the positive, that's fine. But active investing does allow for a lot of, uh, a lot of um, behavioral uh, yes. biases biases to come into play. Yeah. So uh, one, people often tend to think, uh, they actually tend to overthink their agency in markets. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of the idea that I moved money from this stock to that stock. This is my defensive thing, you know, whatever. Oh, look, I saved this much, whatever. Um, and we tend to think, oh yeah, that was good. Yeah, but had you just left your money there, probably waited exactly. it out, probably been fine. You know, oh, yeah. we don't know. So we have one, the belief we have, uh, we're convinced of our agency more in the markets. Two, as individuals. Uh, two, uh, there is also the, uh, oh, there was one, I just thought of it and I lost my train of thought just right now. But it, it, it oh yeah, it's the bias to wanted to take action. So when things happen in the, in the global economy, we want to take action. Yeah. Um, and that means that uh, we have to do something. And oftentimes, doing something is the worst thing you can do. You know, it's just just don't do anything. Yeah. Uh, two, we like to believe we can pick. Uh, we have a special sense at picking winners. Yeah. You know, we do this all the time. But one one. Funny and we have thing, a personal attachment to our losers. We do a deep, deep attachment that well, the yeah. ship is going to turn around somehow, someplace, and it's going to make up for all the. Uh, this is due to two. Yeah, this is due to two biases. One is the uh, sunk cost fallacy. 
the idea that well you know we're already in it you know we're we're in the we already ship. paid we gotta... the four ninety five commission <laughs> <laughs> exactly we got to write it and then uh, can't cut can't cut your losses and then two it's the endowment effect the idea that I invested in it I own it this is mine I re- this is I, yeah. I can't part with it we see it in houses you know like when you know yeah. you, have you ever seen like a really crappy house uh, for sale and the guy wants like seven fifty k uh, sure, I know the market's overvalued, but even this is much, you know? And so it's because that guy has le- has lived there for 40 plus years. It's his. It's yeah. it's what he calls home. He believes people should look at this and say, wow, I've, I want to spend 40 this years. This is not a piece too. of shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's the endowment effect. Yeah. And we, we have it in everything. You know, it's even it even exists when, like, um, they found it when they were giving um, mugs to, they did, like, multiple of these big, big studies. Mm-hmm where they gave mugs to students and they gave $5 to other students. And they said, uh, the people with $5 are free to buy a mug from someone. And they found out that people with the mugs were less willing to part with it, even though they've only had it for 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so these are things that an, an, a good advisor can uh, keep you in check, mm-hmm. just to make sure, hey, yeah, you know what? We got to revisit the strategy. We've, we, we stuck with it. Uh, you know what? Just just stay if we go to cash now we'll lock in our losses this is not mm-hmm. smart you know this might not be the best thing to do and they keep you in the game you know they, they, they keep you invested they keep you in the game and this also is part sometimes as we were talking about you know home country bias has that positive effect we're we invested in something we'll, we'll, we'll stick mm-hmm. it through so um these are these are some of the, just the things that we do in the investment side you know but we also do things outside so we talked about tax uh, mm-hmm. tax law selling we can look at that talk to your accountant see if we can figure out you know hey can we put these on the books yeah. can we carry this loss forward uh, you can even apply it retroactively up to three years so that's really cool uh, you can only do this with a non-reg account so uh, and with ETFs so that's really cool um, <clears throat> I was going to say before I think one of the biggest things for financial advisors mm-hmm. is all the intangibles they can provide just beyond like you should buy this investment or we should structure it, you know, yeah. do this allocation for equity and bonds is all those intangibles when it comes to like tax, when it comes to like maximizing income generation, planning like, okay, we're going to move it to this capital year. You're going to sell the TFSA in December so you can like move it within accounts or everything. Exactly. I find all of those intangibles is really where you get to learn and pick up so much about personal finance as a whole, because all of these decisions like when to sell a house, your ETFs, your mutual funds, all of them are Mm -hmm. interconnected in one way or another. And it's all of those little intangibles you can pick up from your advisor that I really wouldn't pick up. You wouldn't pick up from anywhere else unless you specifically research each of those items. And I have seen very few people who are capable of doing that on their own. There is one guy. You'll never find it also. (laughs) uh, I've seen one guy. He's the, there's this, I never met him personally, but I know him. Uh, I know of him. Uh, He's, he goes by the name of the loony doctor. Uh, okay. Not as in crazy, but you know, <laughs> a play on words. And so um, he actually, I've been on his website. He is about, um, he's a physician. I don't know where. I think it's in Saskatchewan or some other boring place. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Saskatchewan uh, listeners. Um, and uh, what he does is he actually really goes into the, the research, the nitty gritty, the okay. nitty gritty where uh, he does even models. Uh, he tests out different hypotheses. So mm-hmm. let's say, like, uh, he tested a hypothesis of what's the best strategy to do when you have a sequence of returns risk. So sequence of returns is very, very particular to retirees. Uh, 
because uh, let's say when you when you work at a financial institution, you run a fund. Look, you just got to wait it out. You'll you'll make your 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 money back, whatever. When you're retired, you don't have that because you're not putting more money into it, right? You're retired. This is your baby. This is what your income is. This way you have going it. forward. So uh, the 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 math is quite a bit different. And sequence of returns risk uh, is when let's say three four bad years occur on your investments, and now. You know your your investment is 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 been eaten away. Even if it has a good five years of great recovery, it, it you can't really come back from the 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 planned uh, uh, ROIs, mm-hmm. the planned re- return on your investments that you were going to plan yeah. for later. You know, for okay, yeah, I was going to use this interest. You know, there's all this uh, capital gains that was going to make my nest egg grow into Those retirement. Those are gone. Yeah. Those are gone. Now you might have to lower your spending rate. You know, you might have to cut a lot of big corners. Mm-hmm. So he actually goes into studying different uh, hypotheses of, okay, do we go to cash? Do we go to fixed income? Do we just keep it? Do we go all equities? He actually really did it, and he viewed what was the best outcome. Believe it or not, uh, all equities was probably one of the better ones. <laughs> yeah, no. It's, uh... Because he bounced back faster, and also the risk premium is higher mm-hmm. during times of uncertainty. So uh, that's the only guy, and he doesn't, I mean, he, that's just one of the things. This guy is, is a machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even know if he sees patients because he spends a lot of time doing these studies. So he's the only non-financial advisor mm-hmm. or finance professional I have ever seen that goes into the nitty-gritty um, of, of personal finance. Mm-hmm. So now that you were talking about the intangibles, uh, one is like, all right, keeping you on your strategy to buying a home. We, we talked this before the podcast staying on your target, staying in your, what are your, you know, keeping with your goals. And one of the other ones I find is like incorporation. So doctors, certain lawyers, engineers, etc. some uh, decide to incorporate. Mm-hmm. A lot of tax efficiency can, can come of it. But an intangible thing that we don't see, we can see the tax savings, let's say on a given year. But one of the intangibles that we don't see is when to incorporate, you know, or or uh, is psychologically, you know, is behavioral-wise, is behavior-wise, is incorporated even right for you? Because if you're a big spender, so let's say you make a lot of money and you spend a lot of money, uh, chances are incorporation isn't right for you. You have to have a pretty, you have to be able to put enough money, leave enough money in your corporate account so that it, one, it covers the expenses of uh, tax reporting, um, also, Filing, yeah, fi- yeah, corporation, corporation yeah. in the first place, exactly. You're, you're getting a fiscalist and everything. And then um, you have to also keep your money invested and make it more money in order to offset these ongoing costs. The mm-hmm. first, the, the, the uh, cost of entry and then also the, the ongoing costs. Mm-hmm. So um, it may not, it's not always right for everyone. Uh, and also, it's not always right for everyone at, at certain times. So, for example, we incorporated, my wife incorporated, uh, and then shortly after we had a kid. Uh, we had two kids, sorry. Uh, I forgot one. <laughs> I forgot one. Uh, so we had, we had two kids. I hope uh, your wife twins. isn't listening. <laughs> no, probably, probably not. Uh, personal finance bores her, which is how I ended up in it. So, <laughs> so um, uh, it was not the right time to incorporate. Why? Because you... One, you have to pay a lot of uh, uh, tax, uh, what they call mm-hmm. les accounts I know this in French, I forget it in English. But basically you have to, every quarter, pay uh, tax uh, up front. You pay tax in advance, yeah, installment advance. taxes. Exactly, yeah. installment taxes, thank yeah. you. 
So you have to pay installment taxes. When you're trying to save to buy a home and also you have two kids and you have a reduced income due to the fact that my wife, who's the main breadwinner, um, because it, it is on maternity leave, yeah. you have one heck of a burden on your, on your shoulders yeah. in paying those installment taxes. We did get a hefty, uh, a hefty uh, a refund. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. But that was a big amount of money we didn't have at the yeah, time. You have to put it up, up front. You have, have to put it up front. So um, incorporating may not be right at certain times of your life. And so that's something that an advisor mm-hmm. can look at and say, hey, you know what? Let's wait a couple years. Wait till your practice is a little more established. You got your home. You got the, you know, your kids are a little bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh and then you, or you're not going to have kids for a while before, you know. So these are things that that that, that an advisor can look at, and they're intangible. Mm-hmm. The other intangible is that you know we talked about keeping invested, uh, not making any any big mistakes, looking at taxes, estate planning. Um, also, uh, there's uh, there's one I can't remember what it was. Like, whatever, it doesn't really matter. There's but, a lot of them. But now people have actually tried to to quantify this intangible. Um, oh, into like a fee to into see a, like, into uh, a percent, okay, into an annualized per, uh, annualized uh, uh, rate over like ten years or fifteen years, and so what they find is that it it depends on who you're asking, depends on the study. Uh, Vanguard did one study and they said it was one point three percent. The intangibles. Uh, yeah. The, okay. The, yeah, yeah, the benefit. So one point three percent annualized uh, return on your investment uh, on mm-hmm. your portfolio. So uh, the highest I've seen was 3%. And I can't remember, I believe that was Cyrano's study. Cyrano is a think tank here in Montreal. Uh, it's a highly publicized study. You can look it up. But uh, I believe it was 3% that they had. They were in the upper, in the upper echelons. But what they looked at better was over at milestones over the years. You know, so five years, you're going to be 1.3% richer than someone without one, right? That's not a big deal. So it's like a 3% return or it's like a... It, it's, it's like a 3% annualized return. Okay. So exactly. it adds 3% to your, okay, to your, your, to your, to your return on, on investments. So it, like at five years, it's like 1.3 times more wealth than someone without an advisor. Uh, at 10 years, it goes to somewhere around... Um, I'm trying to think. It, 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 it's 1.9. Again, it's not too high. But at around 15 years, it actually balloons because of, I guess, compound yeah. interest and everything. Uh, it goes to about, uh, ooh, I forgot, it was like almost 3%. So almost three times, sorry, almost three times. And the reason why is just because the average self-do-it-yourself investor actually really does kind of mess up things. You know? Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, a lot of the times the do-it-yourself investors are people, and they count among them, stock pickers, not no no count no no fault to you uh, no uh, no no, no, no. I, you. I, but, but, I but I agree with that as I well. mean stock pickers that don't have a level two CFA yeah <laughs> so so stock pickers who say oh what's the what's a hot stock uh, mm-hmm. Tesla you know uh, which they still ha- it still hasn't really bitten them in the ass but we don't know yet you know whatever on the other hand I don't want to go in there but last um, week it did but uh, yeah. yeah yeah but I guess people forget real quick yeah. so. Um, uh, you know, stock pickers, uh, fund pickers, people who say, e- even people who buy ETFs and they're like, oh, I'm a passive investor. But then every so many months, they're completely they're changing. ETFs, yeah. They're moving ETFs. That's that. The, this really does incur costs. 
this also incurs, you know, the, your strategy when you change mm-hmm. it all of a sudden, it's really much harder to, to measure your performance and you're probably losing. So uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it's problematic. Um, and that's why there is that. And also you get scared. Ah, there is a big thing. I got to take out all of my money. So these are things that happen. So, and also you, you, make, you might make, I don't know about mistakes, but maybe less wise decisions at certain times, like maybe buying too much house, maybe buying when it's overvalued, mm-hmm. maybe uh, taking a year sabbatical when maybe you should have waited another couple of years. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it just depends. And those are the intangibles that we, 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 we can provide a return on. But have they been quantifiable? Sometimes people, people have said yes. Others say no. It just depends on... Uh, it's, also, it's also ideology, too. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of do-it-yourselfers who adamantly deny any, adva- any advantage to taking a, yeah. a, uh, a financial advisor. And uh, to the point where they even ignore evidence. Like, it's just like, I, okay, look, all right. <laughs> you can't... You can't convince you otherwise. So, what are your thoughts on dollar cost averaging versus timing the market? Like, if, if I'm a, mm-hmm. uh, a new client, I come and I have two hundred fifty thousand dollars cash. Yeah, what's your approach to investing that in the market? So, actually, I like to view it the opposite. Uh, I don't believe that if you let's say you did a lump sum investment, uh, I don't believe that's actually timing the market. I believe that if you do a lump sum investment just because you happen to have a lump sum to invest, is when you should invest your lump sum. So rather than wait for the next crash or whatever, I don't believe uh, that that's the right approach. I believe that when you're mentally ready to invest and financially ready to invest, you invest. Uh, now, the question, dollar cost averaging versus lump sum investing, I believe dollar cost averaging is more in tune to timing. Why? Because the time, it always applies when, well, the time isn't right or I don't know or I'm, you, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. So it's when you tend to do the dollar cost averaging. Now, uh, so I, I view it kind of counterintuitively, but uh, the, uh, my view is lump sum investing, and this is not an opinion, actually this is, this is, there's research that proves this, lump sum investing two thirds out of the time historically, even in global markets, uh, is, is two thirds of the time more beneficial than dollar cost averaging. Uh, the one exception historically where dollar cost averaging actually had no benefit, neither nor loss to uh, lump sum, it's almost too close to call, mm-hmm. is Japan. Uh, the reason why is because the last 30 years, Japan has had what we could call almost an artificial economy in many ways where the, the country is just sustaining the economy artificially through, um, through pumping the, the markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the whole zombie banks uh, was, was ter- coined there because they were, keep, they were propping up businesses that were even unprofitable, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it turns out that an investment in equities in Japan actually would have made less than having T-bills. <laughs> so, you know, so that's a one-time dollar cost averaging. It actually doesn't come close, is less than the two-thirds rule, the, the 66%. Mm-hmm. The U.S., it's at seven, in the U.S. economy, it's the U.S. stock market, it's 70%. In Canada, it's closer to... I believe 65%. In Europe, it's somewhere in the lower 62, somewhere in there. And times that lump sum is better than dollar. Exactly, exactly. But overall, when you when you average global markets, it's point. It's sorry. It's uh, it's 66% of the time historically for the last hundred years. Uh, then you have uh, then it was finding out what's the difference over 10 years of had you chosen to do a lump sum in one one installment or 
uh, over, uh, dollar cost averaging over the course of one of the same year. And they found that the difference is annualized 0.38%. The lump sum is better than the... Yeah, okay. annualized. So you look at your ROI at 0.38% to that over the course of 10 years. Not that, not too bad. So even at this point in time, mm -hmm. today or tomorrow, yeah. the market open, mm -hmm. you would take the 250000 you would put it in this market now, or would you tell them to wait because of COVID? Like what, okay. like so, how, how would you take a crisis that we're living through mm -hmm. now and explain it to the customer? So I explained the math, and the problem with it is I, I look at math, you probably look at the math, you probably look at the math, and we all come up to probably more or less the same decisions with minor variations, you know? But um, the truth is that a lot of people don't look at the math or they know the math, but they, they, they yeah. operate differently. Mm -hmm. And so dollar cost averaging is still better than nothing, you know? Uh, having a, but deciding towards action one way or another is better than just not investing at yeah. all. So uh, what I tell people is the 0.38%, that's the math. That's the opportunity cost. And, or, and that cost, what you're doing is you're buying comfort or you're buying insurance from regret, you know, yeah. um, is what you're really doing. And so as I said, if it keeps you invested and it, 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 one, it gets you invested and it keeps you invested, then that's what we're going to do. We're going to dollar cost average it. But I never recommend uh, timing the market when they say, Oh yeah, but things don't look don't look certain. I said, look, there's a there's a relationship with risk and reward. When there is uncertainty, you, there is a higher premium on the risk on on your money. So going forward, you're probably going to see more uh, profit, more return mm -hmm. on your investment because you decided to choose uh, a, a risky time to invest. And so uh, that's the way I approach it. That's the way I talk to the client. And it comes to just reaching an agreement. I tend to go for, uh, again, it depends on their objectives. If they're, let's say they have 250K and they also want to buy, uh, you know, but I need to save for a down payment on a house. Okay, look, that's, that's stuff we got to keep liquid. You know, that's stuff we got to keep kind of outside of the market. So, all right, well, you, you say you want to buy this amount of this house, this, this looking at this, you need 80K. Put, let's lock 80k in either a money market or say a high interest savings account or a GIC if you want whatever you want to feel comfortable with there's even other short-term uh, fixed income uh, fixed income options but whatever you feel comfortable with that's what we can put it in and then the rest this is a stuff for long term we look at long term we look at those numbers we say okay what do you think well all right I don't feel like dollar cost averaging, but I don't feel like the lump sum. All right, let's do let's do a middle a midway. Let's invest half of it in lump sum and invest the rest in little uh, installments over the mm -hmm. over the course of the year. You can do that. It's just up to you. Got to negotiate it with the client. You got to talk to them. They're your boss. You know, in many ways, they're your boss. You just give them advice. You you put the cards on the table, but you got to help them make a decision. They can't be locked up in 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 analysis paralysis yeah. in analysis paralysis. Because that will, you're not doing anything, and they're not doing anything, and it's not helping. So. You jeopardize yourself by yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So don't go too deep. I I look at the peop, you know, the yeah. client, the prospect, and I, if I see that they're not really a numbers kind of a person, then yeah. that's fine. You know, that's that's all right. We'll talk more the emotion. We'll talk maybe maybe what is the what is their what is their fears, 
And then how can we solve those fears? You know, when, yeah. Because so. the biggest barrier I find most times is just starting, like just getting. We're talking with one of our friends today, who I think in February he's like, oh, I, you know, I just started working. I want to open a brokerage account. You know, I want to start investing. Mm-hmm. So like, okay, yeah, cool. Like this sounds good. And then today he's like, oh, I opened, I opened it, but I never like did anything with it. And now like seven months went by, <laughs> and it's like just, just start. You know, yeah, even just do it. Even if it's your first five dollars, just start. Get, mm-hmm. get started. And like you said, like the 0.4% is great to have as an extra, but it's not a, you know, not it's, everyone has it and it's not going to, no. it's not going to kill you, but just get in, get it, not getting in will, will mm-hmm. hurt you. So just get in, get started, get moving. Absolutely. And, uh, and once you get a taste of it and start, you're going to get more experience and then hopefully grow over time. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. A, and, 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 you know, people's, people's relationship with risk actually changes over time. So I've seen uh, not well. I've seen clients in looking at their past uh, investments, uh, they were far more conservative. Mm-hmm. And even given the the, the global pandemic, um, you know, when we did we looked at their we did a uh, investor an investor questionnaire profile questionnaire, and we looked at it, and they're 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 now moderate aggressive or aggressive. You know, so it means that that they because they've evolved, they've seen the past, and they've. They've, they've seen this and then they're like, you know, what? I can stomach that. I can, you know, mm-hmm. and so people do change over time. So, yeah, he, even if you put five dollars a month or it doesn't matter, uh, even if you did dollar cost averaging over the course of, of years or even months, their 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 views may change their their they, they some sadly, some may even be more risk averse and you can't do anything about that. Yeah. But um, but some most will actually change because they understand they start mm-hmm. to understand the context of where risk and reward lie in in, in investing. So, yeah. yeah. So it's it's a it's a really amazing question and, and it's one of the things again that that, that I do that, that that we deliver that as you know do it yourselfers they sometimes don't have that access to to that voice that says, hey look, don't uh, yeah. don't think don't overthink it. Just just do it. You know? You know, there's even funny charts I have where it's like, here's what you would have had if you invested a thousand dollars before like a major crash and they showed the different crashes the great depression mm-hmm. i can't remember what crash happened in the oh post world war ii there was a crash um there was a crash in the 70s with the oil uh yeah, the yeah. oil embargo um the dot-com bubble and yeah black monday the dot-com bubble and uh was the, 08, the, 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 the 08 crisis yeah and you would have come up on top if you would have invested your thousand dollars you know so it's, it's uh, yeah, you would have had a big loss in the, in the first year, but your, your gain always jumps up a year or two after. So, and you don't know when that gain is going to happen. No one ever does. Oh, the yeah. timing comes, it, it's random. It, it's like it's, look, at this, look at this COVID crash, oh, how yeah. quick it was to recover. <laughs> and it was, it was absolutely shocking. I think it hit a bottom March. March 13th, I think. 13th. I've, I've seen March 23rd as a date. I'm not sure. But, I mean, it went back up amazingly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. Why? Because, I mean, it's, it's macroeconomics. A lot of it was central governments around the world said, we're pumping money into the economy. We're going to... It was also a knee-jerk reaction that the it, first... Uh, it was, it was knee- the fear. The fear set in, though. At, yeah. Uh, at well, the, well, I mean, look at 08. And then no one, no one reacted quick enough. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, I don't know. No, now everyone knows that yeah. you... That but that's you, like he said um, before, every <clears throat> crash is different. And every each, crash is different. Yeah. Each crash is going to have its different characteristics and properties. But 
the important part is just getting just staying in yeah staying vested and over time it's shown that it's going to recover and the the losses are going to come back we just don't know when mm-hmm. they're going to come back and uh, no we, we we don't and that's the thing we don't know when and and that's that's part of it you know people will have to understand uh i heard this recently and they said someone had said uh you know the cost of there's there's the first cost of investing is uncertainty is you don't know when it's the first cost of investing the second is the mur (laughs) (laughs) and the third is me so uh (laughs) so it's important to keep my fees low and and the mer low because already investing in with it comes with enough uncertainty that that you you Mm -hmm. that you you it's it's not easy you know for the average guy for the average uh, investor so you got to have that in mind that that um that you're there for them uh it's not just you're there for pure profit you're you're there to help them you know that's part of the reason why i became one i i don't know if uh my previous career was helping immigrants find jobs here in montreal helping them Mm -hmm. uh, guide them through the job market and all that i love the idea of helping people of giving advice of actually guiding them coaching and and that's why i i became it so i always look at justifying the fees uh make sure that that you your your growth uh is is justified Mm -hmm. uh, justifies the fees and so that's why we keep it low. That's why we always help you out the best we can, or at least I do. And um, it's not easy, you know. Uh, it, it's not. It's investing isn't easy. You never know when you're going to get it right. I, you're going to yeah. get it wrong. Uh, I know. I have my wife, you know, in one uh, conversation with the local uh, COVID with the local with the with the recent COVID crisis, and she's like, "Oh my God, our investment lost, you know, ten percent and whatever." And that's like, um, "Yeah, but just stick there." And inside me, I was like, man, she's, look at, she's saying you're wrong. <laughs> she's, she's saying, well, you put your money in the markets, you're insane, huh? You know? You- <laughs> yeah, it's like, I was right, you were wrong. It's like, and I knew is- this would happen all along, and this is why I keep everything cash. And yeah, just- and this is the thing investors know. have to go through. Even if, they're, even if they're super comfortable with the market, they have that inner voice telling them you might be wrong. You know? Oh, yeah. And that's the yeah. uncertainty of the markets, and that's yeah. why it returns you have a return on investment. You know? Yeah. That is why. Because if not, you could get a, C, a GIC. And what returns do you get from a GIC? I looked at them today. I think one year at TD is uh, 0.45%. Yeah. Which is, uh, yeah. I told my mom and she was like, <laughs> it's that low? How could it be like that low? I'm like, that's actually like really good. Like other people are charging <laughs> like a quarter percent, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, there's, uh, there's a price to play the game if we want to put it that way mm-hmm. um and there's ways like you said dollar cost averaging and different allocations and different products to mitigate that risk so people can sleep easy at night and mm-hmm. uh if you know i'm going to take 0.4 percent less to sleep at night that's a trade out you know most people are willing to take yeah exactly it's uh it's not bad it's not there's no there's no right answer there's no one no they're actually there absolutely and, isn't uh just you know getting in the game and uh I know there's different. Everyone thinks of investing as oh, it needs to be the stock market, but no. again, that's not that's not true. And there's so many different products and different asset classes and different ways to actually mm-hmm. invest. And whatever makes you comfortable and and is good for you and fits your situation is is going to be the best option for you. Yeah, there's there's people you know we we I know you guys are into it uh, uh, who who love real estate. Yeah, not because. Uh, there are some people who are attracted to it because of the speculative nature of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't help them. Uh, they're going to go into Bitcoin or they're going to go into whatever next new big thing, you know. 
next new shiny thing, gold. I'm sure. The weed stocks, yeah. Weed stocks, exactly. You can't, you can't, you can't save those people. But there's other people who go into um, uh, real estate, like yourselves, do it wisely. They do the, re- you know, they put in the research, they look at it. Why? Because they're a lot of them do it because they're comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. They see it as something uh, that's not abstract. And it's, it's there. very predictable. It's mostly predictable. Well, <laughs> because of the mostly. rent. Mostly. Right? Exactly. Yeah if, yeah. if if you look at if you take out the um, value increase or the appreciation of the property and you just look mm-hmm. at it as rental paying down the mortgage over 25 years and then it's paid off, yeah. it's very predictable. Yeah, exactly. Unless there's something that happens, you can't find tenants, tenants don't pay. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's Unless risk. there's a global that's pandemic that keeps yeah. everyone... Uh, exactly. From renting. <laughs> from renting. Yeah. Exactly. No, no, what I'm saying, no, but but again, this is part of the uncertainty. Yeah. So, no, I mean, uh, again, that's it, how you, you, you also make long-term gains in, in real estate is having that uncertainty. So, uh, but people are more comfortable with it. You know, people are more comfortable. They know, they understand mortgages better than they understand the stock market or they understand, you know, their neighborhood or the, the, yeah. their city they're investing in or they're, they're purchasing. And that's fine. Uh, just as long as they don't do it you know, speculatively. Now, can I help a person in that? Not really. If that's going to be the, 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 the majority of their investing is going to be in that. But I, you know, but that's fine. I don't keep them. I'm going to tell people like we're not going to be a fit, but I can definitely refer them to other people who, who can uh, better guide them, you know. Uh, the only thing I find, and it's a bias I think that I'm more than conscious of, is when people ask me, is it better the, the, the real, to invest in real estate or invest in the market? I actually tell them that, full disclosure, I work, my livelihood depends more on the, mm-hmm. on, on, on the stock market than it does on real estate. So I'm going to tell you this, take what I say with some kind of, uh, some kind of skepticism if you want, a healthy Great dose of it. Not a grain of salt. Two grains of salt. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe Five. a small salt shaker. You know, maybe one of those packets that you get for the French fries. At McDonald's, yeah. McDonald's, yeah. And a shot of tequila. And a shot of tequila and lime. But, um, but you know, because I use I, I use yeah. objective, uh, ob- objective uh, uh, evidence yeah. to support my arguments. But guess what? I have a positive there's a, bias. There's a limit as to how how objective you can actually exactly be. exactly, and we all have this. It's part of our, our identity, our lived experience. Yeah. You can't get out of that. So I tell them like, yeah, look, I tell them going forward, like, look, I'm going to give you some numbers. I can give you some arguments, but in the end, I benefit more from if you yeah. do this and if you do that, and that is absolutely fine if you choose one or the other. I recommend you go see a a, a real estate developer or whatever. Ask them what, yeah. what their view is. I'll tell you what. I never met a real estate agent that never believed that real estate wasn't the best investment on earth. You know, they all believe it's but the best investment. You know, investment. actually, you'd be, surprised, <laughs> you'd be surprised on that. Uh-huh. I can meet financial advisors who give me, like, actual, like, good advice. Mm-hmm. The market is maybe not in a great time. Like, this is happening. These are the different trends. With real estate, it's always, what do you think about, the like, the Montreal market? Oh, it's going to go up. It's going to go up. It's, because of, it's going to be because of X, Y, and Z, and, and the interest mm-hmm. rates are low. And it's always the same thing. Like, it's going to yeah. go up. It's going to 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 go up. It's like, it's not, it can't. It's like, it's it, impossible. It, it's impossible that continues going up at the rate it's going up. Yeah. Forever. You know, it's, yeah. it doesn't. So I tell people, look, the problem with the market in general is term, in terms of real estate. And that means the, the mortgage brokers, the real estate agents. Uh, I don't know what else is out there. Uh, the salesman, the condo salesman. Yeah, the, the condo yeah, salesman. Yeah, everyone, yeah. 
uh, who occupies a weird position in between real estate agent and, and, and broker, but um, uh, is they they always have this fear of missing out. And I think it's almost part, it's like, it's like, it's what make it, it's what pays their bills yeah. is that you buy uh, this ex- overvalued condo because the, you had the fear of missing out because they said, Hey, you're, it's always going to go up. It's, uh, it's not going to, if you don't invest now, you're going to, you know, you're going to lock, you know, you have yeah, to yeah. pay more. And so uh, I tell people, look, avoid the fear of, of missing out. You know, it, the, yes, it's true. It's, a, it's, it's, it's increasing in value, but you have to look at the fundamentals that, little crappy condo is not really worth seven hundred thousand dollars you know it's regardless of what it tells you you know you 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 gotta you gotta be able to to just say hey look right now rent is still low you can buy you can rent in reality what you're doing is you're buying time buying time maybe not timing the market but seeing when it's the right time to buy if you buy a house and you're going to buy overvalued buy you know a property buy because you love it yeah because exactly Buy because you want to. You want to live in it. You want to live wanna, in it. Yeah. And you know that if it lost value tomorrow, it doesn't matter. I'm sticking there. I'm yeah. sticking around, and that's fine. You, you do, then you're not really making yeah. a mistake. I mean, sure, there's a mathematical mistake to it, but that doesn't matter. If, if you're not going to sell tomorrow, but again, it's that's okay. the cost of wanting to live in in that house. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But you know, again, there's a premium for everything. You know, exactly. you can, we don't want to call it a a, a premium for keeping a roof over your head and not having to pay rent to someone and w- wondering if yeah. they're going to sell, which is a thing about right now at my current uh, uh, oh, rental. Okay. We don't know if our landlady, she's 80, 87 years old. I mean, she's like, I don't know if I want to sell. I, 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 I'm considering it. And so we're like, okay, see, this is the risk. This is a, yeah, we're paying a lot less yeah. than a mortgage, but we have a little bit of uncertainty. Yeah. So. These are things you got to measure. There's always uncertainty with every, uh, yeah. everything. Yeah, so these are the things. And I tell everyone, I, I try to have a healthy do- uh, discussion with them. And I tell them, look, have healthy skepticism about what I'm about to say. But here are some figures and here are some arguments. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying don't buy a house. But I'm saying maybe rethink the triplex theory, yeah. you know, hypothesis or the idea you're going to buy a giant, uh, you know, tenant building. Just uh, just look at it again, you know. Yeah, run, run a couple numbers, you know. And... Uh, that's it. That's one thing I do. <laughs> <laughs> one of the many. One of the many things. I'm a man with many hats. <laughs> do we have any more questions for uh, for Carlo? No, I think I, I think I got we hit them. we hit yeah. through. Yeah. I'm yeah, glad yeah. we got to the real estate thing because I we I wanted to get that. Is it uh, personal now? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> it's uh, no, it's it's always good. It's always good because real estate is becoming such a big thing now, and everyone wants to be in it. So I'm glad we got yeah. to ask you that. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Real estate is like, it's like Bitcoin, gold, uh, or, you know, precious metals and these weird things where it's like, oh, you know, it never loses. Oh, it's great, whatever. And, you know, um, what's his name? Robert Schiller. You ever heard of him? Uh, uh, Financial economist. He actually did a study, you know, he did a study a long time ago about the economics of home ownership. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, presented in his book, uh, the second edition of Irrational Exuberance, which... Uh, the second edition, I think, was published just before the housing crash. Okay. She was talking about how people were kind of going into these bubbles. You know, irrational exuberance is about bubbles. And so he's talking about the housing bubble, and he did the math, and he, he did global 100-year, you know, housing markets, a global, you know, global housing markets. He said that uh, 
After fees and taxes, the return on investment annualized was 0.6%. I mean, it's pretty low, you know, I mean, so you have to look at it. Yeah, we're looking at, we're living in a bubble, I think, or say, oh, look, it's, it's, in, it's, it's, it's uh, increasing in value every year. But that year. 0.6% is if you lived in the house. That's if you lived in it. Yeah, yeah. if you're renting the house, then the numbers change. The numbers change. Oh, well, it better change. I yeah. hope so. But <laughs> if, if, it's, it's hard to compare home ownership yeah. and stocks because home owners, it's like you don't need stocks, but you need a place to live. You don't need stocks, but you need a place to live is true, but uh, there's something about that. But on the other hand, if you need a certain quality of life after you retire, let's say you retire, and the only way you attain that quality of life is by selling your house, well, yeah. you know, your, your, your investment has a lower, had a lower return than, yeah. Yeah. than, than the stocks. Yeah. So it, it, the way I tell people is look at what quality of life do you want to have? Yeah. If, if, if you think that you're going to live in that house, then we can't even talk about selling that house. But if you're going to leave, then what is the return on that investment here 30 years out? I don't know. You know, I, I can't tell you, but, but I if, know looking back, it's 0.6%. But if know? they're going to leave the house, then mm -hmm. they don't buy the house, but then they pay rent somewhere. So then there's another equation. Yeah, yeah. So let's say they rent there. out the house, but they live in a no, condo. No, I mean, no, like, no you're, sorry. You're, you're saying that to own a home, you get 0.6% premium mm -hmm. as a return, right? Yeah. But if you choose not to own the home, mm -hmm. then where do you live? You need to, you know, so then you rent. No, well, you live in a box. Or you live in a box, <laughs> yeah. The, the, the very common live on the corner of the street in a box. I like to call it a very mobile lifestyle. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. You live <laughs> a, very, a, a very itinerant lifestyle. Yeah. Um, no, uh, uh, no you rent. When you compare, like, uh, real estate to stocks, mm -hmm. right, um, it's not so much about owning the real estate and living in it it's mm -hmm. about owning the real estate and renting it out mm -hmm. and then you take that return and you compare it to a stock market return yeah and so it's not 0.6 percent that you would make no it's not 0.6 percent but again it it, it it we have to really look at well how much rent did you really get out of it over the over the course of years did you were there times where you had to pay for the rent yeah. because there wasn't a tenant. Oh, absolutely. If you have to change the hot water tank, change the roof. Yeah, this, yeah, exactly. That, and like and, and so there's and a rule tax. of, when you're doing these kind of calculations, it used to be the rule of five, you know, uh, that used to be when when interest rates were about 3% on, on, a, on a mortgage. But uh, then there you have 1% on uh, home maintenance and then 1% on taxes and school tax, you know, property and school taxes. And so... Uh, that's that's a rule of thumb kind of a thing, you know. Now now I guess it's a rule of four because of yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> low interest. But um, uh, uh, you you have to make these valuations, and again, these valuations are only just that; they're projections, and we don't know. You know, we don't we don't yeah. we, we don't know. Yeah. All we can do is we can we can kind of sort of base it on the past and and come up with a conservative number so that you don't overshoot. You know, so that so that you don't. You don't think that, oh, yeah, we'll have $5 million by the time we retire. Maybe it was three. And does that change your equation? You know, mm -hmm. does that change your decision? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know. It's, it's, if it, I'm sure that that's, that's a topic for a whole other discussion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I can probably show you probably a million different other like websites and, and not websites from just regular bloggers, but I mean like actual studies of people who say, well, no, renting is better. No, but you know, renting out. Uh, uh, sorry, renting property is better than uh, than investing in the stock market. And to be honest, it's it's there's no wrong way though. It's yeah. the only thing comes down to it is if 
do you did you take on too much leverage you know did you not put enough on your down payment did you did you, you know did you buy it at a time when it was mm-hmm. way overvalued you know, i don't know we don't we these are things that you you really have to look at it on a case by case yeah yeah, yeah. so if people want to invest uh, real estate, it's cool. I don't think they're. I mean, gonna, I think it's better. As long as they're nothing. not speculating, as yeah. long as they're doing yeah. it wisely, they're gonna be fine. Yeah. You know, they're gonna be fine. It's a first world problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for coming in. We yeah, it's a pleasure, man. It. We wanted. I mean, I was always curious to see how financial advisors defended their position. That depends very, on the financial yes, advisor. Yeah, Again, I've, I know a lot of bad ones. You seem like a good ones. one. You seem yeah, like I, a good I think one. I am, but I've known a lot of bad ones, you yeah. know, and, yeah. I, and, I, and I hear them uh, from time to time. Uh, but, but in an environment where technology is taking a bigger and bigger place in our lives, where investing yeah. is simpler and simpler, yeah, yeah. like how are you guys reinventing yourselves to still be relevant to the masses? Exactly. So IG uh, is probably the first Canadian company, first Canadian, large, you know, mm-hmm. uh, large ca- uh, financial firm that made the switch to the fee-based. So what we, what I do when I charge a fee of 1.35% starting um, is, uh, is, is this was made because now investing is commoditized. Mm-hmm. Now assets, you can go online, you can go on Wealthsimple, which is owned by IGM anyways, <laughs> which is our parent company. <laughs> but you can go and you, you, you can do it you can go to a robo-advisor, you can go ETFs, you can do whatever you want, and you pay the, probably the minimal commission. Sometimes you don't even pay anything for purchasing, um, and that's fine. So we have to find a, a value proposition and a way to uh, let people know that, hey, look, uh, look, if you just pay a little a premium, you get a higher, you can get a higher return in the long run, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, here's what we do and whatnot. But if the advisor isn't returning isn't providing this service for what you isn't paying for it isn't really giving you for what you're paid for which is what we call value right price is what you pay mm-hmm. value is what you get um it's not providing value then then we're not you know then we're not doing our jobs we're not worth the we're not worth the fee you're paying and for that you're more than welcome to walk away and i recommend that you do no one should stick around with an advisor that they don't get along or that they don't uh, you know they don't like or they they feel they're not getting their money's worth if that's the case Please do something else, robo, whatever, mm-hmm. but do something, you know. Um, and uh, talking about good and bad advisors, just one last bit. I'm wearing a, a rational reminder hoodie, which I actually got for finding. Um, it's this week, I believe, maybe next. But I I, uh, I suggested this week's um, bad advice of the week from financial advisors that I found online, and so one was talking about the the why this advisor ex advisor here in montreal uh with the firm we're not going to mention uh decided to say oh um i don't like index investing because i can choose the good companies and not the bad companies and i choose the good fund the good fund managers who have all the good companies and Mm -hmm. it's like yeah but you know anyway so (laughs) he tried to pretend that like you know active Mm -hmm. in this sense which is fund picking a form of active advice um is is somehow superior and whatnot mm-hmm. and and if that's your advisor honestly he's not going to make you poor or anything but he may not be the best in my view yeah. you know just yeah. the science isn't there so go with one that also believes in the science or researches or keeps up on the readings and yeah. that's important so all right that's about it <laughs> from well, my we want to thank you for coming in it was a great uh, great conversation 
and hopefully the the viewers liked it but uh yeah thanks for tuning in and uh we'll see you in the next one appreciate it